1: Jamie Hirsch, NHL Network, <laughs> joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. That's Luis Fernandez, Dennis Cox here with you. All right, Jamie. Tell me this. Tell me this. Tell me everything's going to be okay for the Carolina <laughs> Hurricanes and that they're going to score six goals tonight and Bobrovsky is actually human and not a cyborg.
2: Oh man, uh I can tell you everything might be okay tonight, but I don't know, man. You guys are up against it. It's going to be a- really tough. I was looking forward to coming there for the Stanley Cup final and I got to say it's it's going to take a big four game effort here to convince me but but we'll start with tonight okay we'll start with tonight just tonight he's due to have a stinker he's due right it's yes it's a game of ebbs and flows that's what bruce cassidy said i'm out here covering the western conference final bruce cassidy was talking about the ebbs and flows in hockey so it's gotta flow your way eventually
1: yes see this is the kind of stuff we need to hear and it's just got to come in abundance and stick around for the next four games, Jamie. Just, but like you said, <laughs> one game at a time. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm little, a little disappointed that you're like, oh, I was looking forward to coming to Raleigh for the Stanley uh, Cup Finals. Like, you, come on. You got to give us the good vibes. You got to send them this I way. Know,
2: I know. Well, look, I, I picked them to win the Cup, you know. Like, two weeks ago, I was on the here and I was thinking, this is the team to That's beat. true. For sure. You did say but- that. You know, I actually also have a side back going with a friend of mine who said back in round one that the Florida Panthers – we're a team of destiny, and are his pick to win the cup. And I'm like, you're crazy, right? Like, even though they beat Boston, I still was like, no, no. When is the, when is the last time the team of destiny, quote unquote, won the cup? Like last year, it was the ABS because the ABS were clearly the better team. The two years before, the Tampa Bay Lightning were clearly the better team. Like this is nonsense that there's a team of destiny, in the Florida Panthers. Like they were not even going to make the playoffs two months ago. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, This team has something special in the Florida Panthers, but, but again, their luck has to run out at some point. Right.
3: I mean, that's, that's what you would think. Jamie Hirsch from the NHL networks, joining us here on the Heaster automotive group hotline. Uh, Jamie, I'm I'm watching the game or post game really, and you see Koken Yemi coming up the hallway, and he just smashes his stick. I uh, caught on camera doing it. Not not the best look, but you you feel the frustration because it's one mm-hmm. thing if the games are come up here and it's like 2019 where the Boston Bruins are just you know having their way, doing whatever they need to get the the series sweep. But it's every single minute of this game of the series has been played within one goal. Like it's it's right. absolutely ridiculous.
2: Yeah, that I mean, there's nothing more frustrating I can imagine than the way this series has gone for Carolina. I mean, the first game alone, right? To lose, like Rod Brindamore said, it's the worst way to lose. And then they back it up with another overtime loss. Like that is so deflating. um, To think that you could very easily be up at least two to one right now in the series, right? If not three, nothing. And so you're right. I mean, the fact that all three games have literally been either tied or within one goal is nuts to think that now they're on the verge of a sweep. So I got to think that Carolina bounces back and gets a win tonight. Um, even though it's in Florida, like I, I just think Carolina is too good of a team. And, and, you know, I heard Rod Bridenwell's press mm-hmm. conference the other day, and he said that he likes how they've been playing. And that's, crazy to say if you're down oh three in the series but he's not wrong I mean they've played well they should not be down oh three in the series in my mind and you know especially like coming from my perspective here covering the west um you know dallas I think deserves to be down two one yeah. because they were clearly the better team in game two and Vegas straight up stole that game. Like it was a bad giveaway by Ryan Suter and that's what allowed uh, Vegas to tie it. And then they won in overtime for their second straight game. So, You know, last game, last night was insane. I don't know how much you guys watched of that game, but within the first two minutes, you know, we all thought, okay, Vegas is not only going to win this game, they're going to win this series because it was that abundantly clear that they were so under the skin of the Dallas Stars and in their heads that, you know, Dallas just looks lost. And I feel for Stars fans because, man, they came thinking it's fine. We lost the first two on the road. We're going to bounce back. And they played their worst game probably the whole playoffs last night.
1: Jamie Hirsch, NHL Network, joining us here on the Heathrow Automotive Group Hotline. And, and that frustration boiled over. We saw with uh, Dallas captain Jamie Benn getting ejected with the cross-check on Mark Stone. Uh, but that, you talk about the frustration that Dallas is experiencing in the West. You mentioned how Carolina, at at worst, should be down only 2-1 in this series, but it still is 3-0. How do you not let the frustration carry over into a Game 4 like this if you're Carolina? You know, I
2: think they just have to continue somehow to trust their process, right? To trust that that they are doing the right things and they are playing the right way and just keep doing that. And they also, unfortunately, have to manage the puck as well as they can while also keeping their emotions in check. Because that's
0: that's what we saw.
2: I mean, And and hopefully they watched that game last night and they saw just how quickly things can turn on you if Mm -hmm. you don't keep your emotions in check because it got very ugly, very fast for Dallas. And, you know, it's one thing to go down one, nothing, right? Like, like Dallas went down one, nothing within the first minute and a half, but it's another thing then to lose your captain down one, nothing for the entire game. Like you took that penalty less than two minutes in and they're like, we don't have an actual ruling right now, but by every indication on both sides of this, like they're fully expecting Jamie Ben to be suspended at least one game. Oh, yeah, so now well. you're talking about putting your team behind the eight ball because they have to not only win this game, but they have to do it without their captain. And they're also going to be without Evgeny Dadnov, who might even be more important to the stars because of how he's played this series versus how Jamie Benn's played this series. So, I, I mean, you talk about a monumental task for, for both Carolina and Dallas, but I would much rather be Carolina right now than Dallas.
3: That's true. That That's, that's a good point. And I mean, I think too, it's, it's, it's a tough position to be in regardless. I mean, being down being down 3-0 and it's it's so wild to me because looking at these finals in both the East and the West, i like I felt like the talk all before was like, yeah, we're looking at 6 to 7 games easy in both of these. It's going to be tight and fun.
2: Yeah, I was fully expecting to be gone for another week, right? Like, you know, my husband is thrilled, by the way, that this might end tomorrow and I might come home on Friday because <laughs> he's not uh, not particularly excited about another full week alone at home working uh, with both our four-year-old and almost two-year-old. But that aside, like, I, he and I both were expecting this to go the distance because Dallas has been so good. Like, they – I'm shocked. And Pete DeBoer echoed that, too, after the game. He was – shocked by how his team played he said he's like i really thought that we were going to be ready to go we've been such a good response team all year jake Gottinger is at his best when his back's against the wall and you know he lasted seven minutes before he got the hook so look it's not over until it's over but stanley Cup history is weighted very heavily against a team that is down oh three in the series um you know carolina if they can come back and, and win tonight they they do know that they would have you know home ice to go back to for Mm -hmm. game five so you know where where's again dallas like i think they're in a worse spot because if they win at home tomorrow night they still got to go back to vegas yeah and the golden knights like i just don't see that golden knights team losing four of the next five games or what would it be yeah yeah that's right four of the next five games and um or four straight games four straight yeah like if that's yeah that's in my mind, not going to happen, but we've seen crazier things, um, whereas I think Carolina, who knows? Like, I would, I would say they're in a preferable position, once again, to, uh, to the Dallas Stars. Whatever that's worth, that's <laughs> what I'd say.
1: Jamie Hirsch, <laughs> NHL Network, noted Kane's optimist right now on the Heathrow <laughs> Automotive Group hotline. Jamie, thanks for your time. Uh, we definitely intend on talking to you as this series continues.
2: Things. I, I did want there. to throw one thing out there too. To I don't know it. if you guys ran any Jamie Benz sound from today. I know you're focused on your series, but not. it, uh, it was not a great look in my opinion for the stars captain. He did not show remorse. He said, um, in fact, his exact words were, if I had it to do over again, you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have fallen down and used my stick as a landing point. Like wow. that is not how hmm. the play looked to to anyone else. So I was really surprised to hear um, him to hear his tone and to hear his remarks. So uh, definitely worth checking out online and uh, also, you know, some little self plug here on our NHL network broadcast, because I've got a report coming up in a little bit. So uh, check it out when you get a chance. Cause it's, it's kind of ugly right now from the Stars' side
1: of things. Yeah. Jamie Hirsch, NHL Network. Check out her her coverage there on NHL Network. Thanks again for your time. And like I said, we will talk to you later on in this series. Yes, sounds good. Thank you. Again, Jamie Hirsch joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah, if I had to be either Dallas or Carolina being down 3-0, I probably would say Carolina because they're playing better. But this kind of goes into my point about how there are just literally – you could point out to one moment in each game for Carolina, which completely could have changed things around. Go back to game one, yep. for example. It's overtime. Carolina's on a power play. They get a great scoring chance. Sebastian Ajo down low. Puts a shot on Bobrovsky. Rebound pops right to Jarvis. He elevates the puck, puts it over top of Bobrovsky, who was slightly down or was, was recovering a bit from making the initial save. Hits off the crossbar, bounces down, and pops straight back out. It's like literally a centimeter down, or even just if the puck is just rotating a different way when it hits the crossbar, that's a goal. And now, okay, Kane's winning overtime. Hey, Freddie Anderson was awesome, all this kind of stuff. Narrative completely changes. Or you go to game two, for example, Luis Fernandez. Yes. And that game where they lose again in overtime, Jack Drury's goal that would have made it 2 nothing. Carolina. Mackenzie McEachern keeps the puck in at the blue line, but the puck actually did cross the blue line by about two inches. It's so, so tight. So close. But if, if he's there, like, if he just basically like, extends his arm out and he keeps the puck in that way, then Carolina's up 2 nothing in the first period, and they looked faster in that start of that game. And then now you have Florida chasing you yeah. the entire game. You go that, but then also Sergei Bobrovsky, as crazy as he's played, but that blocker save he made on Sebastian Aho, going from left to right, where he dropped his stick intentionally to get like to get his blocker up faster, and just gets the edge of it and, like, at that moment. Or the where Brady Shade throws it in, it goes off Aaron Eckblad, the defenseman for Florida, off his skate, and it hits Bobrovsky's toe right on the goal line. It's again. A little moment here and there completely changes each of these games and completely changes the series. That's how razor thin these games have been. Uh, Yeah,
3: and and I I like what Jamie said there kind of at the very end talking about uh, Dallas and and what they're dealing with now. Yeah. And and when you look at what the Canes have in front of them, because right now at this point, as much as it is the physical play of what the Panthers are doing, and they have been incredibly impressive, it is the – The mental burden that their play is putting on the Hurricanes as well. Yeah, you you just feel like you're kind of just you're you're in a bad vibe. You're like, man, they're talk about the team of destiny type thing. That's that kind of stuff starts to get in your head where it's like, man, he's making all the right plays. I can't get it in. I you know, it's all of those kind of issues. So you you cannot lose your cool. Because the second you do, you're playing right into what the Panthers want. Mm -hmm. And then you're rushing your your opportunities, which we've already seen them start to do in in Game 2 and Game 3. Thank you for listening to the Best of the Drive podcast. I'm Tim Donnelly here with Coach Pete of Capital Financial Advisory Group. Coach, is it still true that a million is enough to retire
0: on? Tim, maybe and maybe not. The most important thing is to get a real plan that gives you income you never outlive. We'll give that away to the next 10 people. Call right now. The number to call, 800-691-3215.
3: Text TIM to 600-700 if you're interested in texting. Once again, that phone number is 800-691-3215 or text TIM to 600-700 for that deal.
1: Any of the conversation with Jamie Hurst, Kevin Keats, NC State men's basketball coach, spoke to the media earlier today, had his off-season press conference, talked a lot about the transfer portal, talked about some of the new guys like MJ Rice coming in. He talked about how, Rice just didn't really get an opportunity to play much at Kansas because of the roster that was there, and that's totally fine. But it seems like all indications that NC State is going to get every chance to play, especially with basically replacing their backcourt with Terquavion Smith and Jarquel Joyner both gone.
3: I think he said at one point he's like, when you look at the shots that we have to replace, yeah, like, Terquavion and, and Jarquel combined for like almost like 30 shots a game. So it's a like, lot for, for a guard. It's like all right. Come on down. Let's do this thing.
1: Chance to go out there and play right away if you're M.J. Rice, Uh, who's a five-star recruit, and uh, again, transferring in from Kansas. But one of the big things that Kevin Keats talked about, this is something that we brought out a a lot last week when the ACC and its athletic directors went down to Amelia Island in Florida a week ago, along with Commissioner Jim Phillips and, and other people from around the league. A big thing that was brought up was revenue distribution. But also part of that, was the perception of the league, especially when it comes to basketball. ACC only had five teams make the NCAA tournament last year. Now, perception and numbers go are two different things, but Kevin Keats talked about how the ACC can boost its profile, but also analytically boost itself as well. We've got to do a good job, a better job promoting our league. Uh, I think our network has to do a better job promoting our league. Mm. Uh, we as a, a league, have performed very well in the tournament. But you can't tell me that in a 15-team league with really good um, programs that we should be getting just five teams in. And I think one of our jobs as coaches is we've got to do a better job of trying to win in November and December uh, because the committee seems to me to be putting a lot of um, you know emphasis on your early wins opposed to what happens in your league. We have lived a little bit lately on the reputation of the league in basketball, and I think we need to get back to you know promoting it more than we do. All right, Luis Fernandez, three things that popped out of my head in that 44 seconds of soundbite from Kevin Keats. Yes. One, talking about the network needing p- to promote the league better. Can't ride the ACC name, just live simply off that, and then scheduling. The out-of-conference stuff, November, December. All right, so first, let's get into the network thing real fast. I think the ACC network as a whole right now, and this can change, but the ACC network, again, which is operated by ESPN, needs to do a better job as a whole of basically being having someone be the stand for the ACC, right? Yeah. So we look at college football. Anytime we talk college football, at least ESPN, what we see on there, who is the person that they bring on all the time? Paul Feinbaum. Who works for who? The SEC network. Exactly. So, Clemson football has some struggles. Who are they going to talk to? Paul Feinbaum, who's going to sit there and you know what? Trash the ACC. You know why? Because it boosts the SEC. It does. It's a – if Vanderbilt gets a win in conference, it's a – well, that just goes to show you how tough the SEC is, blah, blah, blah. But, Lord forbid, Wake Forest wins games. You know, like, oh, I see Wake Forest is one of the top teams in the Atlantic. Therefore, the ACC stinks. It's like – that's not the case. It, it, it's it's the national perception exactly, it, exactly. Perception.
3: Because if 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 there's good, S, if there's an SEC game where two SEC teams. The win, it's like, man, how, exactly how hard is the SEC? But the ACC on ACC, a lot of times you boil down to like the the ACC type stuff where you have like the the Wake Forest Virginia Tech zero
1: zero tie going into overtime. Yeah, with thing. Frank Beamer, it, f- two fists up in the air, all and, excited.
3: And some of that, there is some reality in that. Obviously, the SEC is is the better football program or football conference, like one hundred percent, yes. But it, it is about how everything is perceived because, like, even in college basketball, right? Uh, so much of the past few years as we've made a transition to NET, I feel like the ACC as a whole in the regular season has not been getting as much respect. And then they get to the postseason, they do a lot better. You still, you still go back to 2005, and, and which conference has the most uh, ACC men's basketball championships since 2005? The ACC. You we were talking the, about NCAA NCAA, yeah. yeah. ACC. Yeah, the ACC. Like, but, but it doesn't feel like that. Yes, it's it's, that's there's a combination of things that goes into it, but it has to be improved.
1: Okay, so that ties into the second one of those things scheduling how the conference as a whole and each of these teams need to do more in November or December. So this gets into the net ranking. So this actually there's the perception side of things. There's also the analytics side, which sometimes they're, they're parallel, but sometimes they go hand in hand. So a lot of people will look at the net rankings and the analytics and the chem Palm numbers and all those kinds of things when looking at college basketball. And they'll say, well, look how great the Mountain West was. It's so much better than the ACC right now. That's just – put watch games. That's just not true. But the numbers, analytics, and how people can cook the books will tell you otherwise. For example, Nevada. One of the top teams in the Mountain West Conference, I think, actually won their regular season, or is one of? Are they finished in the top two or three other conference? Played a non-conference road game at Kansas. Well, Kansas in the Big Twelve, all those non-conference games that the Big Twelve won, and how they scheduled the Big Twelve, boosted the Big Twelve as a whole. Well, Kansas playing against them boosts. I'm sorry, Nevada playing against Kansas at Kansas boosts Nevada's profile, even though they lost. They lost relatively close. I think it was like a 13-point game. camera off the top of my head. But it was a respectable score. Well, it boosts the profile immensely of Nevada. So when the Mountain West schools play Nevada, especially when they go on the road there, well, what does that do? It boosts the profile of those schools as well. So that's, again, how you can manipulate the net to your favor. The ACC needs to go down to 18 regular season conference games because 20 hurts them because that's just more quote-unquote losses in the conference, right? Because that's just how it works. But if you're able to schedule better, two more better non-conference games, whether it be a neutral site, you can boost your overall net rankings in November and December. So when conference play really hits in January, everyone's net rankings is kind of inflated to an extent. So when you're playing each other, you're playing against games with higher net, like more quad one and quad two games, as opposed to quad three and quad four. Again, I know that's a, a convoluted way of explaining stuff probably, no, no. but that's what the ACC needs to do. And that's what Kevin Keats is talking about.
3: You don't don't hate the player, hate the game. Yes. If, if you want to, you know, you have to have skin in the game if you want to win gotta, in the well, game. You gotta, also got to know how to play the game. Exactly. And, and the last thing that Kevin Keats said there, I think it was just like, yes, exactly. The ACC is depending a little too much on its college basketball history. Yeah, we are in a "what have you done for me lately" type world right now. Mm-hmm. The ACC—I just mentioned how many great wins they've had in national championships in men's basketball over the past, you know, 15, almost 20 years. The last one was in 2019, Virginia before COVID. Yeah, so. And, and that's not exactly one of those, like, championships that's going to make you, you know, it's not going to sing the praises of the ACC because Virginia is such, like, a, an insular program in terms of what they do. It's not something that a bunch of teams are going to be able to, like, you know, copy, essentially. Um, so, I just, I, yeah, it's, to me, it, it is about understanding, being modernized in that situation, and, and finding ways to you know raise the the water level of the entire ACC it's you were an individual but you're also your conference Yeah. I, you, the SEC fans the people who are SEC fans of, they love it when the SEC as a whole does great things you need almost that kind of mentality with the ACC which is which is different than I think we're used to in a lot of different ways but it also leads to um because it just it feels a little bit like fanatic you know yeah. what i mean but it's it's what you need if you want to have success as a conference
1: it crushed the ACC last year with Louisville and Florida State struggling in non-conference because so that bad. just completely dragged them down. So anytime a school played them, it dragged them down with it. Yeah. Even though you may have won, it's amazing how your net ranking was hurt by going on the road and beating a Florida State. Your net ranking dropped. That was like that. Those are kinds of things that need to that need to change for the ACC. That's what Kevin Keats is talking about. Yes. We'll definitely dive into that a little bit more later on.